Hi, this is Patty with GalaxyCon Talks Comics, and you're about to listen to part one of our two-part interview with writer and artist Declan Shalvey. Welcome to GalaxyCon Talks Comics with your hosts, Mike Broder and Patty Hawkins. Join us each week as we talk to some of the biggest names in the comic book industry, both past and present. Make sure to follow us online at GalaxyConTalksComics.com. Hey, Patty. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm, uh, you know, uh, live and well. So uh, welcome to GalaxyCon uh, Talks Comics. I'm uh, Mike Broder, and with me is uh, Mr. Patrick Hawkins. Hey, um, hey, hey. I was listening to uh, uh, Joe Rogan today, and he said that if Florida was a, its own sovereign nation, which many Floridians wish it was, <laughs> we would be number one in 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 the pandemic right now, as internationally. We're number one, Patty. Indeed, indeed. We're number one. Is it is, and that was just a lead, of course, because we have an international guest joining us all the way from uh, Ireland. He is one of the most popular artists in the comic industry. He's worked on Return of Wolverine, The Punisher, Moon Knight, Old Man Logan, Deadpool, All Star Batman. His latest project is Bog Bodies, an original graphic novel featuring Irish gangsters stranded in the Dublin mountains, out from Image Comics. And uh, without further ado, Mr. Declan Shalvey. Oh, how's it going? Good, man. Good. It's uh, it's a little late over in your neck of the woods. As I'm sure I'd be working away anyway. Congratulations on being number one, by the way. That's thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you. We yeah. do our best. We absolutely do our, our best. Our country is number one in the world. Our state is number <laughs> one in the country. So you know we are. That's really saying something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're doing we're doing what we can here to to keep the code. If, if 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 I can ask, is it like how how you, are you are you in Florida as well, Patty? Yes, I'm in Orlando. Mike is in South Florida. Okay, and as it like. Do you guys leave the house much, or like what's it what's it like right now? I go to go. I leave the house when I need to. I wear a mask, and uh, to f- my area's credit, I'd say about an eighty five percent ratio. I, I see of people in public areas wearing masks. So mm. maybe not. Yeah, you know, we're not giving out rewards like say Texas, where if you come in without a mask, you get a free meal. Fair enough. Yeah. Like like, and I have friends in Texas. We love Texas, but yeah. But like Florida is like really like the houses are fairly spacious and there's, it's all AC anyway. So most I remember when yeah. I've been there, I didn't want to leave out to go outside because it's too feckin' hot. <laughs> well, the, 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 and that and that's the problem is is that like I don't go many places. I I go home. I come to the office. I go home. I come to the office. My and if you've seen Mike's office, you'll know know why he doesn't need to to to, to right. leave. So I've got like my own little fortress here, but occasionally, like not occasionally, but like my one thing is I'll drive through Starbucks and get, you know, coffee or tea yeah. or something in the morning. But I really aren't. I'm not going any place. I'm not going out. And, you know, you drive around down here and a lot of people aren't wearing masks. It's not, you know, it's 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 a little janky. It's, you know, people. This is why it's spreading. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't mean to bum anybody out. It was just no, 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 no. Well, I I asked you earlier, and please for our audience that may not know, because I ever said you say that uh, your country seems to have gotten a fairly decent handle on this. Uh, yeah, I would seem so. I mean, we locked down. I mean, we locked down just it was hitting Paddy's Day, and there was like a really there was like oh, just wow. before St. Patrick's Day, there was like a lot of people going out and like you know um, in bars and stuff. I think because Italy is so close, that gave us a bit of a scare. So I think we we locked down just before. St. Patrick's Day, and um, I mean, I haven't not been to a pub in three months. 
um, Jones and right now, <laughs> but um, but like you know, in co- like comics wise, I don't go outside much anyway because I'm generally you know working all the time. But um, I think the fact that Ireland is a is a is a smaller island, we were able to kind of like you know lock down and not. Yeah. It's you know it's different with America. You have so many states and it's a lot more complicated. To be fair, so the word on the street is that you're a big Star Trek fan. It's been known. I'm just trying to check. Do I have it? No, I don't. For once, don't have a Star Trek T-shirt on. So, so, so what Star Trek? I'm I'm tied between Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. My I started watching the Next Generation because my mom was a big fan of the original series, so she was watching it. And I was let me see, it was out in '87. So, so I you was, literally were the Next Generation in your family. I was the Next Generation, yeah. But I, I think I think what's interesting is like I was so I was in my early teens when the Next Generation was on. And when Deep Space Nine started, I was in my like you know mid to late teens, which of course is a great time to watch something that's a bit more—I don't want to say cynical, but like complex and political. And, yeah. You know, so I was just the right age to be watching Next Generation, and just the right age to be watching Deep Space Nine, and uh, like that—that's that's the yeah around season season four or five Next Gen, and then Deep Space Nine started. So that was kind of prime time for me, I think. Nice, nice. So, so when, uh, when, when when do we get the 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 Declan Star Trek comic? Man, I'd love to. I had a I had a pitch one time for an O'Brien story, but it, it kind of it didn't work out. Um, the problem is, like the Star Trek stuff is so. I did some covers for um, the Discovery, the IDW Discovery uh, miniseries. So I just drew the ships, which, and I'm not really, you know, I'm I, I would say I'm known more for drawing kind of like organic stuff, like trees and rocks right. and things. I'm not really a, like a technical guy, but man, I loved drawing those ships. Yeah, they would be hard comics to draw, to be fair, because everything's generally very sleek and clean, which mm-hmm. isn't my bag. But um, I, I definitely have a, I'd say if I did any, it would be a DS9 story, because that's the, I think Klingons, Cardassians, Jem'Hadar, they'd all be really fun to draw. Uh, yeah, I definitely have a D, D, DS9 story in me somewhere. So the, the next time we do a Star Trek variant cover, I know who to talk to. Yeah, too. Yeah, I'd, I'd just do it before I can write. <laughs> before I can say yes, I'll just have written it. I'm like, we've done. Right we've done two. We've done two covers so far. We did uh, the, the year five books, the Star Trek oh, year nice. five books. So we did a cover with Shatner holding a treble, looking at it longingly for the for the <laughs> Valentine's Day special. And then we did a great. We did a photo. It's a photo cover. And then we did a photo cover with from the Minneapolis show with Shatner, with Kirk, Chekhov, Sulu, and Uhura. Because we had those four nice. in Minneapolis. Oh, nice one! So Actually, the guy who draws the, the 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 Star Trek Year Five comic is a friend of mine. Um, he's an, another Irish guy, Stephen Thompson. Um, he, he's excellent. Yeah. But the next time we do a cover, it'll have to be a an art cover, and we'll have to go to you. Yeah, let let me know. Like I, yeah, I'd be all over that. You know. Uh, cool. Uh, by the way, sorry. <laughs> Just, uh, no, no, you raised you raised a good point too because yeah, I one thing I, I love about your work is you have a very organic feel to it, and uh, a case in point, uh, your man thing is one of the best I've seen in decades. Yeah, we we discussed we're not going to talk about our artists' man things on this show. <laughs> I'm sorry, I I, 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 I withdraw, withdraw the statement. We got in trouble when we had the giant size man thing episode and. But there was, there only, was uh, only because uh, ours wasn't so giant size as advertised. <laughs> well, I, well, I worked on Thunderbolts with Jeff Parker on uh, on Man Thing. Was he was the, he was one of the most fun ones to draw because he's just foliage in those eyes that peer out. You know, he's yeah, he's great fun to draw. 
So, so uh, let's let's go back to uh, the beginning of your Star Trek roots. Uh, what were the beginning of your comic book roots growing up? Well, there weren't a lot of comics. Like there weren't American comics available really here. The best comics I'd have access to were things like DuckTales and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of um, licensed stuff because uh, we have news agents here, so there would be like comics every week, like the Beano and Dandy. But I, uh, I really got into, and um, we also like the local library had Asterix and did have some kind of graphic novels, um, like the Frank Miller, Batman, and Daredevil stuff. Although I was, a, I was a little young at the time. But what happened was, um, Panini UK used to do these, they started doing these reprints of American comics. So they had like three issues of Amazing Spider-Man collected in a kind of a, like a, not a hard, like a, like a hard stock cover, hard card, card stock cover. Um, so for the price of one comic, you could read three stories, which was great because I didn't have access to American comics, yet I was able to read them through reprints. So I ended up catching up on a lot. Like When I did get my hand on American comics, it was right at the time, just before the Age of Apocalypse and just like near the end of the Clone Saga. So like I didn't know what was going on. You know? <laughs> God, um, yeah, that's a hell of a time to get on. Yeah, but my first X Men comic was issue thirty five, and it was Cyclops and Phoenix, which is fine. I knew those characters from the cartoon. And then the next issue had um, Sabretooth, Banshee, uh, Jubilee, and Emma Frost, and I was like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> like, where's Wolverine?" You know. Um, so going from like like being hardcore into the cartoons to tr- like, but then that was also the kind of the cool part about it was I didn't know what it was. There was no Wikipedia. You couldn't yeah. just go online and fi- figure it out. So you had to wait a month to read the next thing, and you slowly, slow. And then with those yeah. reprints, I was able to like read comics from like three years previous. So it was kind of like I was slowly filling in the gap. Like um, <clears throat> there's always an argument that the comics need to be more accessible, uh, and I I appreciate that, but I do think one of the elements that's been lost is 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 not knowing. And the only way to find out is like starting that collection and going forward. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now you can just look up anything and find out any you know, like uh, you don't do you need to read the executioner song? You can just kind of go and look it up. It's not that, like it's not the same at all, but I think a lot of people will end up just doing that where and you don't kind of have the the hardcore people um mm-hmm. getting in the way they used to. But then again there's so much media it's it's impossible to keep track of everything. Well, part of the fun, I think, when we were younger was that you jump in and then you start at a certain point and there's this history that goes yes. back 20, 30, however many years and all these stories have happened. So there's kind of that 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 going back and having to find those. I mean, it's easier now with like the Marvel Unlimiteds and the and the DC app and, and everything's accessible now. Yeah, like I, I read, um, I read um, Inferno on Comicsology there a while ago, and like I knew the history of what happened because it affect you know with stuff you're reading later there'll be the editor's note of what happened, or there'll be some reference to what happened. But I, I had I only read it like six months ago, so like <laughs> it took me twenty years <laughs> to actually read that story. But I mean, those they weren't available in the same way. You know, there was it's kind of a little like TV now, like. People are. I know somebody who's watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and their their experience is so different to mine because I would, I feel like I was so invested in it. Because if you watched an episode, that's it. It's the same with the Next Generation. When I was a kid, I had to be at. I had to get to the TV at a certain time because we didn't have reruns in the same way you guys did. Um, if you didn't catch an episode, that's it. You don't see it. You know oh, yeah. now. You see now. I've seen you know years later. I've managed to catch up on things like that. But um, 
because you can stream anything. But back, I'm I'm pretty sure I probably cried a couple of times because I didn't get to watch an episode of well, know, Star Trek like, Next Generation when it came out. We used to have to follow the TV guide, and if you miss missed an episode, you'd have to wait for that rerun, and you would have to wait like a half a year. Yeah, it'd be like another I mean, six months. Yeah, you had. I mean, they only started rerunning uh, like Star Trek probably. I mean, Sky Sky One used to air it, and they used to they used to have it on every single day. But they had to get to season four before they started doing that. You know, yeah. Um, and that that was a new thing for me. Like, yeah. So if I would remember, I'd I'd have like the um, com- compendiums, and I'd see all the episodes and know the ones I missed. Um, <laughs> and I have to make sure I get home so I can catch that episode that I missed two years earlier. Um, especially one there was a there was a banned episode of Next Generation over here. I don't know if you knew that. No. Uh, yeah, refresh my memory. I, I remember hearing it. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it. I used to remember the name of it. It was the one where um, this terrorist kidnaps Beverly Crusher. Mm. Uh, right. That was banned over here for years. We uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. In, yeah. In context, I can... Well, yeah, because there, well, there was a me- data specifically mentions that the, uh, the Ireland was unified at a certain date, and that was just way too contentious to air like over here so i mean they they did eventually years later they did it wasn't it's not like i only saw it yesterday like it's it's they they did air it eventually after the peace process i guess it was you know curiously enough i know that i do remember that episode rankled some people because the character in that compared to well your george washington was a terrorist if you think about it mm-hmm. and that he's not entirely wrong in a historical context to it but contemptibly i remember back in the day that rankled a few of my uh, more uh, uh, patriotic uh, yeah. people well i mean any any stories about terrorism are are complicated because people have causes for different reasons and morality look i mean that's why they're compelling stories because there's yes. there's moral gray areas there one man's freedom fighters another man's terrorist and mm-hmm. you know i mean well, that's why they're complex uh, i i didn't think about how it would be contentious in america but i can see it now actually yeah but Deep Space Nine is more of the of that kind yeah, of storytelling. Like, Kira was a tough one for me because she, I mean, even in the context of like say what happened in Ireland, you know, we have politicians that used to be in the IRA, you know, um, and that's a little uncomfortable. But you know, while you know, I wouldn't be delighted about that. At the same time, these are also the people that made the peace process happen. So. You know, it's very hard to kind of have absolute moralizations on things when, like, the reality is so much more complex. Yeah, very you much know. so. Who would have thought we'd be talking about this, huh? Oh, this, this is where we go, man. This is we go all over the place. Should uh, uh, last week we spent two hours uh, just. Oh God, that was a whole other thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it was good though. It was we we talk very well. I, I'm very proud of how we talk about the, these things, and maybe not everybody agrees, but the important thing is that we're talking. And we're trying to find yeah. more ground. Yeah, because also it's I mean, it's very hard for people to I don't know if you you guys like this, but like in I like listening to things that are honest and unfiltered, and we're all very trained to be very filtered right now, you know, and understandably so, yeah. because you know, uh, you say the wrong thing, it can go really, really badly. And um and it's tough because I I think I think we all notice when someone's being very restrained in what they're saying and it makes for a very 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 sanitized and 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 well, dead conversation you know and, well, um, also what are we going to talk to you we know we know you're a phenomenal artist we know well, i don't know i don't know that uh, <laughs> oh you are I do. I, you know people know so people know who you are from your art they don't know you you know and and that's the thing is 
what's what's interesting more now today than when we all started when we were kids we didn't have a way to really learn who the artists and writers were other than in the back of the comics where there was like a you know yeah. you know a little you know soapbox you know stand soapbox kind of a thing or the dc currents what have you or going to conventions to meet with people yeah. and see them but you know people know who you are they know your art they see your you know they they've and anybody who's going to watch or listen to this is, as you know, probably familiar with your work: Moon Knight, Punisher, Wolverine, Deadpool, what have you. But they don't know who you are. Probably. Oh, well, they're 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 they were lucky. Now they're now they're uh, going to find out. I know. I mean, now, I think it's I think it's it's weird. It's gone the other way in that, like people know too much sometimes. I think you know, and well, that's fair too. I don't, need, I don't need to know what. Like you know, like so you mentioned that you were talking to um, some actors from Star Trek before uh, we started, and uh, I'm weird. Like I, I, I try and meet every comic book creator that I grew up, you know, loving. But when it comes to Star Trek actors, I've had opportunity and I've balked loads of times. For some reason, I just, I, I mean, of course, they're actors and they're you know celebrities, and they, they, and I, I think it's a more bit of an Irish thing where I don't want to bother them, you know, even though they're there to kind of be bothered. I guess like that's the, the point of them going. I, do, I don't need necessarily need to know what um, Jonathan Frakes thinks of Trump or whatever. Insert political thing here, you know. Um, uh, there was a day where we just didn't know anything, and that was fine, you know. Uh, I, I, I think we're in a weird stage where everyone's kind of branding themselves and sharing so much that it's... I just find myself sometimes going, like, I don't want to know this stuff, you know. I don't want to know this person's opinions. And so I just want to read the work. Um, but some people are different, and... I do think in the early days of social media, it was really great because you did have a connection that was kind of, it wasn't this close, but it was this close. It's like, I can say something to you and you might respond to me and that would make my day. But now, like, unless I'm telling you that, um, you know, I'm going to uh, rip your face apart, like the level of communication is so, I think people used to be so grateful for it now, but now it's like, oh, well, I can just use this to just basically say anything I want now, which there's a fine line. It's unfortunate, but it's unfortunate it's kind of gotten to to that stage. You know, I I would never ever ever say something like that to somebody. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's a generational thing too, where people aren't seeing, like you said, the conventions. You go, like no one has ever been horrible to me at a convention. You know, because someone's standing right in front of you and they're talking to you. Everyone's going to be civil and respectful in person. You know, and that's it's one of the reasons I like conventions or these things that we used to call conventions. But. Uh, Sorry, I just went off on a total rant there. I'm no, 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 we're good. We're good. But, but uh, you know, on that point, I'll say that when we were younger, I know at least I did, I used to read like Comics Interview or um, Amazing Heroes was another big one over here where they would talk to creators. And I was, I always wanted to read when they were talking to creators and find out, like, I think it's interesting that you were a fan, right? So you're a fan and you're talking about your fan experience and how you, you what you started reading and how you're reading the reprints, you know, the Panini books, and then you get into the X-Men. I think it's ironic that your your first X-Men book is, you know, where their first couple, you get Banshee, you know, very, yeah. uh, very Irish. I love, by the way, I love Banshee, and I always thought that that was just a, they just always screw up that character. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I, I've made no secret I'd love to do, love to do Banshee, because I just like, I'd like to, um, I'd like to scrape off all the Patty Wackery. Yeah. Because uh, there's a really yeah. cool character, there's a really cool character there, you know. Um, oh, I agree. There's so much to his history uh, that you could like. There's there's loads you could go uh, you could you could go there with them, but um, uh, who knows someday. But and then also you know the fact that you're you know you're a Star Trek guy, and I think it gives fans a way to connect with 
creators sometimes to know that there are things that are connecting points, right? There, there are connecting bridges. Well, well, I think it's interesting that things that happened in Ireland in the last few years is there's a lot more Irish artists who've, who've made a career for themselves, like Stephen Thompson, Star Trek uh, Year 5, <clears throat> Will Sliney in the Star Trek book, sorry, Star Wars books, um, Stephen Byrne, Stephen Mooney. Like, there's a lot of, of artists have come up in the last few years. I think what helped us is that seeing somebody else from the same background as you be successful was encouragement. Because when I was a kid, and I told somebody I wanted to draw comics. They were like, yeah, go on. Good luck with that. You know, it was, I might as well have said I wanted to to be Superman, you know, like, like it just made no sense because that was like, that happens in America, not here. Cop yourself on. Was or even even in, in, in England, but not so much in Ireland, right? Like it's a, you know, there's a, yeah, there, was, yeah, there was a history of it in England for sure. So the, I mean, and the answer, like culturally, generally, if you want to be a success, you had to go to Ireland, you had to go to England or America. Um, now, I was more interested in America because I grew up on American TV. You know, I loved all that stuff, like the cartoons and the films and TV. Um, so I always kind of looked at America more. And I like, you know, there's a level of Britishness that I, you know, we just kind of grow up with it. Like there's, a, sure. you know, I, I've grown, I have loads of English friends and British friends and they're, they're, they're great. But um, no, uh, we know that American TV is the best. You don't have to, you don't have to tell <laughs> us an American movie. We know. We're no, remember, we're number one. Of yeah. course, number one. I forgot. I forgot. But uh, yeah, I, I think no. When I was a kid, like, and I said, I was reading all those the superhero stuff. I found Preacher, which was written by Gareth Ennis, yeah, and and Hitman that was written by Gareth and drawn by John McRae, and they were from Northern Ireland, which isn't the same as where I'm from. I'm from the south, but knowing that there were guys from the country, I you know from the same island as me that were like killing it in America, kind of was like, oh, well, if but if they can do it, maybe I can too. You know, I I don't. I don't know if I would have pursued it had I known that it was possible because everyone just assumes it's a, it's America. But if you look at the industry, I mean, I I would say maybe half of the industry is really Americans. Like there's so many British, Irish, Spanish, you know, there's so many creators are from all over the world, but growing up, you don't realize that, you know, again, you don't have so much information. Um, you know, I, I followed Andy Cooper's from X-Men and then it was Carlos Pacheco. And for all I knew, he was American. Like, <laughs> you know, how would I know? But I, I do think that another reason, you know, when you're having these kind of interviews and you realize people come from like, they can come from council estates or, you know, single parent family or whatever. It's not, you know, creators are just normal people too when they started, they started at the bottom as well. It's always, always, it's always good to know that it's something with that commonality. So I think I just totally, I have no idea where I'm landing on this stuff. You no. Not, don't let me talk because I'll just. No, it's okay. Out. I mean, you were talking about, you know, John McRae that, you know, I, yeah. I remember his hitman, but also his work on demon. The demon. demon. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that demon run is one of the best runs for that character of all time. You know, when they brought back the haunted tank and the, the crazy yeah, that, American general, you know, the, yeah, that might have been some of the first DC stuff I ever read, to be honest. Like, other than Batman, I think it might have been. But also, I was just the right age, too. Like, uh, like when, when the, they started doing Hitman, I was 14, 15. So, like, you're just the right age for, like, the kind of the level of puerile humor that would seep into the book. And, like, you know, I was, yeah, I was just the right, I was just the right generation to be to re- reading that stuff as it was coming out. So, Bog Bodies. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. Bog bodies. See how prepared I am. My copy right here. Um, this is a bog bodies is a standalone graphic novel. It's I. It's a kind of a follow up to a book I did a couple of years ago called Savage Town, which is 
loosely based on a real story, but um, they're, they're, but these are Irish gang, these gangs that were in a, a city called Limerick that I used to live in. And um, Bog Bodies is a kind of a follow up to that, and that it's another Irish crime story, but it's more of a um, it's more of a kind of it's kind of more of a moody horror book where these uh, these gang these gangsters are stuck in the Dublin mountains and need to find their way out. Um, I would say if you like things like uh, Stray Bullets or uh, criminal, like th- those would be huge inspirations. I love those books. Like uh, they're the comics I, I, I love crime crime books, and so not having the time to draw them, I I wanted, I didn't want not being able to draw something to stop me from telling a story, if you know what I mean. So I wrote it, and I had a, a friend of mine called Gavin Fullerton. He's done covers for Terminator versus um, Transformers and various stuff at IDW. He did a graphic novel called um, Bags for Boom Studios as well. So he's kind of a newer artist, and I really like his stuff. So I, I said, well, it's a cool thing about creator on comics is you can just talk to somebody you like and go, hey, do you want to make something? Um, so we did. Um, and yeah, that went on sale last, the end, yeah, May, was it May? I can't remember because it was supposed to come out just before COVID hit. But it came out last month, I think, about a month ago now. And yeah, everyone's been really nice about it. I've got like, I've got like a rake of great quotes from like Jeff Lemire and Brian Bendis and... Yeah, loads of people said really, really nice things. So I'm delighted. I kind of wish I had drawn it now so I could take all the credits. <laughs> um, so so that brings us, to, you know, most people know you as an artist, but now you're writing. We have somebody on the side here, confidential email, wants to know what it was like writing Batman. I didn't write Batman. I haven't written. You didn't write Batman. No, I worked. I was, I was drawing the backup stories on All-Star Batman with Scott Snyder. So that's yeah. I was okay. I was drawing that book. That's kind of the funny thing is, um, I'll talk to some comics people, and I'll say, "Oh, I drew this," and they'll go, "Did you write it?" I'm like, "No." And they're like, "Oh, okay." But I talk to regular people who don't read comics, and I'll show them, say, "Bog Bodies," and I'm like, "Oh, I made this comic." And they go, "Oh, did you draw it?" <laughs> this time I have to go, "No, I wrote it." And they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so, but you, but you are writing. Uh, you are you have written other things. Yeah, yeah, I've written. I wrote uh, Deadpool versus Old Man Logan and uh, James Bond and Savage Town, and I, I wrote and drew a Nick Fury serial that went through. There was um during their choosing, sorry, during Civil War Two event, they had this Choosing Sides anthology book, um, and it was all these different stories. But I did a Nick Fury chapter in every single issue, so that that was like a big, I think like fifty page story, something like that, forty page maybe. So uh, yeah, I've kind of I've done both. I've written, I've drawn, and I've written and drawn, and I've colored. So what was the uh, what was the James Bond story? Actually, it was it was kind of Irish based. It was um, one shot about M, um, James Bond's boss, mm-hmm. where he went back to Belfast and kind of dealt with an old case. From my imagining was that if he's if he's of the age to be James Bond's boss, he and I, I the research I found that he'd been in the army. So it, chronologically, it made sense that he would have served in the British army during the Troubles. So. It's kind of a story that takes place now and in the past of a, of something that happened that he's trying to kind of deal with. So and and also kind of show old troubled Belfast with kind of new, sure. like cosmopolitan. Like I've been to Belfast; it's beautiful. You know, if you look at stuff from like the troubles, it's insane. It, it looks like a completely different place. So um, yeah, it kind of hops back and forth from there. And and I wrote that, and uh, PJ Holden drew that, and he's from Belfast, so he like it's it's super authentic. You know, um. But uh, yeah, so I've just been dabbling, you know, doing a bit of one, doing a bit of the other. The one thing I won't do is lettering because I hate it. I, don't, uh, I tried it once, I'm like, never again. This is too, this is too. Uh, the unsung heroes of the business. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you uh, you also have an art book out now. Yeah, I do. Again, check this out. See, I'm so prepared. Um, yeah, this prepared. came out. This came out in January. So as of actually two weeks ago, I started at Marvel ten years uh, and two weeks ago. So Marvel have been doing these really cool art books for different different artists. They've got like a J. Scott Campbell. Who else do they have? Uh, Asad Ribic, Adi Granov, Chris Pachalo, and me for some reason. But um, yes, yeah, so they've got this really nice collection of. Um, it kind of goes through all of my stuff from starting on Thunderbolts to my cover work to. Why am I looking at this? I've seen this. I should be showing you. <laughs> remember, remember earlier when I said that you you know people are fans of your stuff, and you're like, I don't know, they wouldn't be making art books of your stuff. That's true. Yeah. See, I've I have like while I am a bit of a pretentious wanker, I still do have a lot of like we're not raised to believe in ourselves over here. A little bit of um, humility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're kind of we're kind of what, what's the term? It's um sit down and shut up is kind of is what we're raised on. But um, but if, if any fans of Moon Knight, I will say it's the one place where I got to do show a lot of uh, process stuff, so you can see. There's like a lot of um, cover designs because that that didn't fit the actual trade. So if you're a Moon Knight fan, I'd say definitely get this because it's got lots of stuff that I was never able to show. The but, um, uh, very cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I, it's a really nice production. I'm really I'm really chuffed with it, and because I am uh, ridiculously pretentious, it's nice to say I have an art book. Yeah. On that Moon Knight run, did you design his his suit look? Um, yes and no. I wish I could take full credit for it, but I was doing that with Warren Ellis and he had done an issue of Secret Avengers where Moon Knight was in it. And then in one issue, he was wearing a suit. So it was a kind of like that. So when we were doing the book, he, 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 he suggested I could just do something, a totally different look. I really liked the, the Crescent Moon on the forehead. So I, I basically tailored it a bit more. I just made it a little bit more dapper. And I gave him little, little things like Crescent Moons on his um, yeah. uh, cufflinks. I'm actually doing a commission at the moment um, where I have to look at an old issue. I'm like, oh. I actually got to go like, oh, I did a good job on that, actually. Oh, you did. And from my perspective, the proof of the pudding is how fast I see the cosplays from when the issues drop. And mm. it was, I think we did a show like, it was like maybe two months after that was in circulation. And I, I think at our last show, I saw two or three suited Moon Knights. And even cool. doing the poses, too, of the fixing and the adjusting. That's cool. I mean, I well, actually, the, the superhero version of that, I remember there was a real trend of people making cosplayable costumes, like that the fans could make easy cosplays out of. And I remember my attitude was "f that," <laughs> like I, I, because I, I think I don't think costumes should be something that are. It's kind of a conversation people have about about um about the costumes is they're they're not meant to be worn; they're meant to be looked at, like they're visual tools, you know. And I think a lot of a lot of costumes that are that are designed for cosplayers in mind detracts from the visual aspect that they're supposed to have not all the time but i, I think i think that happens sometimes so moon knight i made a point of like i'm going to design a costume that they're not going to be able to cosplay because the suit version was there you know yeah so that's why i did this yeah that was the superhero version was this kind of um more armored plated uh black yeah. and white version and the way the boots are the way the chest plate is i'm like this would be very difficult to, to cosplay so good luck cosplayers um now, I don't mean I don't mean sound like a jerk. I was I was just I was trying to maintain the visual, no, no, no. And and not the practicality. And here's the thing about it, uh, from the but, but, perspective. But straight away that they cosplayed it. I was no, like, bloody hell! Fair play. Because it's a challenge. It's it's a it's their way of saying I did the undoable. When when artists raise the bar with designs, cosplayers they they love to chew on that. That's a Mount Everest for them. 
Yeah, that, and I have to say, I have way more respect to. I mean, not that I wouldn't have respect for the the, the suit version, but even the the bone skull. Yeah, it's at the back of the book here. The um, the bone armor uh, yeah. version. Yeah. I remember, like, good luck with that. And I haven't. I've I've seen photos of it. I've only ever met one person who did the bone skull costume. But I, my my jaw was on the floor. I was I was amazed with it. Like, um, yeah, crazy. It's, it's crazy. And, and you're right. I guess it's a good test of how popular or uh, something kind of really hits. Um, and it's kind of really the only time that's happened for me because everything else I've done at Marvel was like something I came onto. You know, the the Deadpool book existed, and I I did an arc of that. Venom existed. I did a couple of arcs of that. You know, generally I ended up being like a guy who was put on a book, which is fine. You know, I was happy to, but Moon Knight was the one chance where I got to like show what I could do. And yeah. I, th- I think it's you know, always I great. When, it's always great when they give you a book and, and nobody's looking. They kind of yeah. just, you go and do your thing, and yeah, so when you're on something not as high profile. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I was doing a book with Warren, and, and he was known, of course, but he hadn't done comics in a while, I think, so nobody really knew what to expect. And it's not like he, it's not like Moon Knight is a character like, say, Captain America, which are people would be very protective of. Like, right. there's definitely hardcore Moon Knight fans, but also, you know, people, there's people who did not have a clue who Moon Knight was. So there was something liberating about being able to do something very different with that character. I refer to Moon Knight as Marvel's version of Doctor Who in the sense that every iteration keeps the name and keeps the moon aspect to it. And otherwise, creatively, they've taken it in 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 wildly different directions to varying degrees of successes. But everybody kind of has their favorite version. But mm. fans do tend to go, okay, what's 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 this writer, what's this artist writer team gonna gonna go do next? What's the next? I think you and Ellis created the David Tennant version of Moon Knight. <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh, that works for me. It, 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 uh, it, it, like, it, people do ask it, me like the Sakevich Monet version was the Tom Baker. You guys created the David. Sure, I like, I like that. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. People do ask like what my favorite version of Moon Knight is, and I'm like, mine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be uh, pretend to be humble about it. Like I'm I'm delighted how that book came out, and and I remember being I remember being worried about how people what people were gonna think, but I would prefer do something and take some chances rather than be too worried about the reaction and play it safe. There's so much playing it safe for understandable reasons, but like if I was going to do a Warren Ellis Moon Knight book, my feeling was try everything. Like this is the time to just go balls out, you know, and just every idea I have, throw it out there. Um, and I mean, it was exhausting. I nearly, man, it was a tough book. Like the, I remember the mushroom one, the one where um, he goes into a guy's mind's dreamscape and like there's a planet of mushroom head and I, oh man, I do, it just nearly killed me. It nearly killed me. But but I'm I'm still so proud of that arc. I, I and it, and it's weird. I, I think now that book came out in 2004, so we're like six years later. And now I'm meeting artists who are kind of starting out, like really cool artists on new books. And like they keep mentioning how much Moon Knight influenced them. I'm like Jesus Christ! Like <laughs> it was only six years ago, and it was only six issues. But it's. It's. I'm really. I'm really like. It's great that something so short and sharp had such a kind of uh, seemed to make a mark for a lot of people. Like it wasn't. It wasn't Avengers numbers, but it seemed to really. Oh, you're um, you're you made a you made a mark on Moon Knight. I think you know Stephen Platt made a a mark on Moon Knight. He only did a few issues. He didn't yeah, really do a whole lot. Two. Yeah. Was it just two? <laughs> two. He did two, and then he got poached by Image back when that meant something. So I mean, you know, and then you know Sinkevich. 
you know, had a run on the book, but wasn't the longest run. No, but I remember looking at Sienkiewicz's run, and I've said this a few times, so I hope it doesn't get back to him, because I don't mean it disparagingly at all, but um, like parts of it really, really sucked, and parts of it really, really amazing. And looking over everything he did, like he like talking about taking chances, he took chances that totally fell flat in his face, and other chances which totally were, were compelling and original and new. And it, if you look at that run, it's amazing to see somebody just... You know, they weren't going off in their sketchbook and trying to make things perfect. They were he was experimenting on the page every single day and it worked and it didn't work and it didn't work and it didn't work until it got to a place where everything was just electricity and fireworks. And everyone remembers the fireworks, but I think it's so interesting to go back and actually see where he learned how to you know adjust and become the artist that he became. It's actually it's fascinating to watching an artist evolve on the page, especially today when I think most artists are so worried about how their work's going to be seen, um, about how how it affects their brand or or what have you. Um, you know, having to turn around work as fast as Sienkiewicz had to back then, I think is probably what made him who he is now, which is you know an absolute giant. Well, that, you're absolutely right uh, on this Moon Knight run because that was his adolescence. When he started, yeah. he was the world's greatest Neil Adams clone. Yeah, yeah, he looks like I mean, Neil Adams in the first. Yeah, absolutely, X Men Annual with uh, with uh, Dracula and everything else. It was all pure Neil Adams, and that's what got him in the business. And Moon Knight started. He had to he had to make take those risks in Moon Knight to get him to the New Mutants, which made guys yeah. like me and Mike lifelong fans, you know, and 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 pulled us in, and made him. I don't know. I don't know. If, today. I don't know. If it would be possible to really do that anymore because people's memories are a lot shorter and your currency as an artist is only as good as the last page you drew. <clears throat> so if I did went off and did a wacky style on a book, you know, people turn off that straight away. Whereas, you know, I was talking to Steve McNiven about this once in that he, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent what he said now, but it was something along the lines of, you know, we're encouraged to maintain a style because that's what people know us for. And if we change from that style, we do, we, we worry that people will stop supporting us. Um, and I think there's an argument there. I personally like how I draw, and I'm not looking to radically change things, but I'm always trying to take chances to keep myself kind of... Um, well, I, you know, th- at the end of the day, you're an artist, right? So I think as an artist... Yeah, you're like you're not a, you're not a picture-making machine, you know, and right. sometimes things will work and sometimes times they won't. But there is an awful lot of pressure to be perfect, um, especially sure. when there's so much great stuff out there, you know? Um, but, uh, but it's, you know... You know uh, you you gotta you know I think you know sometimes you want to spread your wings right you want to try a thing, sure. And so it's you can't you don't want to you don't ever want to put a, as much as the the the, the corporate wonks would like to just have you. This is what we want. This is the brand stand brand. You know I think that you know you have to give an artist some creativity to try and find new sure. ways. Like I mean, for my point of view would be like if you're going to work with a brand, like let you know the company should let them bend the brand as much as they ca- as they as they can without breaking it. I mean, you can't you can't break it, you know, because it's not yours. You have to put, as I say, put that toy back in the box. But you know, it's it's by letting creators experiment with characters, which is what like if you look at the, say Marvel, the people know the most successful version of Ghost Rider is probably the one that was in Agents of Shield. You know, and that was a that was a really left field version of, of of them to make a few years ago. Ms. Marvel. I remember hearing about Ms. Marvel. I'm going like, oh, that's a that I haven't heard of that before. Like that's a that's a that's an unusual risk for Marvel to take. 
and look how how successful that's been. Um, like we 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 don't remember the things that haven't worked, you know. And it's one one thing I, I do kind of miss about Marvel in the early two thousands, where there's I mean you know uh, the Demon Punisher from Marvel Knights like didn't work, and we kind of forget about that. But right, that's right, also right. What got us, yeah. So got us to Casada Daredevil, and uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean that, that's fine. I mean I have no problem with that. Um, or the the remember Rick Remender did that Franken Castle, and mm-hmm. that a lot of people hated. And I thought it was. Like I love the Gardenis Punisher stuff, but Frankencastle was just a cool idea, you know. And um, the, the the toy went back in the box; it was fine. Ult- Ultimates, um, you know, next wave. Like so much stuff is oh, some next of the wave. more refreshing things are, are when, is, when the companies. Sorry, go on. Next wave is such a great book. Ah, oh, it's amazing. Like you know, um, but th- that's my point. Is I think I think some things you need to maintain, but but the experimentation that creators can put on books is what keeps those brands alive. You know, a lot of brands have died out because they've just kept them the same and don't take any chances. And yeah, I, I think it, I think it makes sense. You need to take a certain amount of risk. It won't always work, definitely, but when it does work, bloody hell. And and as far as you know, artists go. I mean, you know, one of you know guys like uh, like Keith Giffen, or or you know, you, you got a guy who just kept changing his style, and some fans liked it, some fans didn't, but you know, he still. He's still around, you know. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's some artists who haven't changed at all, and I like that I'm fans of, and I find that I'm not buying their stuff anymore. And it's not because I don't like their stuff anymore. It's because I think I've, I already know what it looks like before I've seen it. Um, I, I don't want to say any names because it's not fair, and they're all, all far more successful than I. But there's some people you're like, I think some fans would love to see a certain artist on Spider-Man. But, like, I've seen that artist on Spider-Man for 20, 30, 40, 50 issues, and I loved it, but I'd prefer to see something new, personally. But I, I know I'm not, I'm not the main... I'm not representative of most readers. I think most readers want... Or most, most fans, I think, they think they know what they want, and if you give that to them, they're bored. And if you give them something that they're not expecting, first they're annoyed, but then they're excited and interested and then they're they're talking about the thing and it, it's a fine line of i think keeping think of, of moving things in ways that keep things interesting and giving you know i got a big fan of like i said like um buffy or whatever and when they kill a character off i was so upset but i don't want like but that's what keep me kept me compelled you know yeah if I, if it was up to me you'd never change what those though those characters. I mean, same thing. Like as a as a fan, the way they're doing all this new Trek stuff. I'm not a big fan of a lot of the newer stuff, to be honest. But like, I try to think of of how I'd approach it. And the danger would be is that I just do exactly what they did before because that's what I liked, you know. And that's not good either. Well, you know, I... doing doing fan art of the thing you liked is not the best way to push <laughs> those ideas forward. I, I've always said that the challenge, creatively, from from a business uh, standpoint, if you're talking about artistic work like comics or or series shows as as something you're still supposed to sell and make a profit off of is, is that if all was down to this you should always listen to the fans you should listen to the audience listen to what they want but then mm-hmm. translate that into what do they need you know yeah don't, there, there's don't give, them there's what, a, don't give them what they want because that's a that's a trap that you, then they'll expect it all the time but yeah. determine oh what are they they're saying they want this but what do they need what are they really saying that they, that they need exactly yeah don't enunciate and that's the sweet spot when you can get in that zone that's where you do it yeah i I think i think i read a david david simon quote once that was something along the lines of you know the audience says it wants a dessert but what it needs is dinner 
Um, yes. And I think that's that's it's great because you know you you can have dessert all day long, but it's not going to sustain you. And 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 just because you think you want something doesn't mean that's actually what you're going to. And uh, like and, I, I'd even use track as an example. There's things I didn't want them to do, and they didn't do it. And I I don't I I, I think they should have done it. <laughs> you know and, I think I was I think I was wrong. And I'll give you an historical example that on a comic. I be, I got turned off of X Men when every other cover was always Wolverine looking tough and grim and everything else. And they were, again, Wolverine was the dessert and they were pushing it too much, too much. And for me, the book was X-Men. I wanted to see the other characters. In which case, Wolverine was that cog that worked better. He's the bad boy of the group, but here's a bunch of really cool other instant characters. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough, it's a tough, I mean, because, you know, I, I'm not in the boardroom at Marvel, so I'm not part of the conversations, but, you know, when Deadpool was... The hottest, <laughs> We're talking 30 years ago, so... <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, but I mean, but I think it's, but, uh, sorry, I, I'm just clarifying, because I'm going to use a, a more current example, but um, I know that, like, Deadpool was, you know, Deadpool blew up there a few years ago, and there were so many Deadpool books, and you could argue that it weakened the brand by having so much. But that's what the audience wanted, you know. And there's, I think, there's a balance between like making the content that people want and also oversaturating the market with just this one thing. And like that Wolverine example of the the '90s or the '80s, you know, you can you can have too much of a of a good thing for sure. But it's hard to say. It's hard to stop when everybody's everybody seems to be happy because books are selling like crazy, you know. I will say this, and I can't believe I'm defending Deadpool because <clears throat> it's a character that I'm not a fan of, but. The thing about the Deadpool is, is that you would have the books that had him in the normal Marvel universe, but then you'd have the other books at the same time that kind of had him in his own little bubble continuity where anything can happen and things were crazy and more comedic. And it wasn't, you were always supposed to think of it as the regular Marvel universe, which DC has been doing as well with Harley Quinn. There's like, okay, there's the DC universe Harley Quinn, but then there's Harley Quinn in her own title and what goes on in there is a little bit left of center of the rest of it. So, Does, that, and what what do, you, what do you think of that? Do you like that or do you not like uh, it? I I I think it works. I I think because in that way, as a fan, it gives me the excuse to create my own headcanon in the sense of, okay, I could tolerate this version of this character running around the Marvel universe, but if it, there's this weather wackier version, I, I I can I can shunt that off in my own headcanon and yeah, say no, well, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm really enjoying a lot of the the DC Black Label stuff. So. Yeah, I see that that's more my taste. I would say, like, I I wouldn't really be too bothered with the ongoing continuity stuff personally. Right, right. But I mean, I do think there's like if there's two audiences to be served, then why not serve them both? You know, it doesn't right. have to be a- absolutely. And there's a place for Batman in a monthly, periodical, floppy, every month serialized, right? Like that's absolutely. there's an audience for that. I have really been enjoying. Some of the Batman stuff, Joker stuff, Harlequin stuff, Superman stuff that's come out with the black label because it's here's a story. It's in its own little world, its own little continuity. It's a story. And it, you know, it has an artist or writer that gets you be a little bit more creative. Well, and, well, honestly, I mean, that type of stuff appeals to me more now. Like, you know, I'm never going to be a guy who does third 50 issues of a book. I'm just not that guy. Like I, I, I stretch myself too much into different projects. And you know, as as an artist, I've been trying to take more control over my work. And being the guy that draws fifty issues of a book tends to not really have that kind of control. Say, um, doing spending a year on a Batman or a Green Lantern book 
where you kind of get to take some of your own creative cho- uh, decisions is far more appealing to me as a creator and as a reader like you know i don't i don't really read green lantern but if say jason aaron and wes craig did a green lantern book i would read the crap out of that you know and that would get me reading a character i don't normally read and you know maybe i won't go back in after his book but maybe i will and and i think these kind of more standalone evergreen approaches to characters i think are well, I mean, they seem to be the ones that keep selling as well. Like talking to my local comic shop, they're the ones that kind of keep selling year to year. Exactly, and and you, you brought up Green Lantern, which is a funny thing because you know Grant Morrison's writing it right now, and I think that's a unique, you know, way of handling it. And so, from a comic store perspective, from a selling perspective, from a you know retailing, the books that are the ones that sell year on year out, you know, ten years later, fifteen years later, twenty years later are those, you know, very contained stories that tell a story, have a beginning, a middle, and an end, mm-hmm. you know, by some, you know, really good creators, and they could just sit on a shelf in a collection. They can make an absolute, they can make a, you know, a hardcover, they can make a soft yeah. cover, and that's the stuff that everybody wants but, on there. But but also, you know, it's good to have, you know, a st- I'm sure comic book stores and publishers um, benefit from having a Batman comic every month. Like, and I'm Absolutely. totally important. And there's I a would, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that book personally because it would just I, I don't it would just be too much I wouldn't be able to hack it anymore. But with those other that other idea, the different approach, like that's something I could do. And I think that's great. There should be these characters are are malleable and you can serve different audiences. I mean, especially now, I think the audience is diversifying, not like in how they want to read the content, be it digital or be it hardcover, be it trade paperback, be it single issues, be it short stories. Like and I think I think the publishers, I mean, maybe they are, maybe they aren't catching on to it, but I think, you know, you can't just make the content for one audience anymore because you're leaving so much of the of the rest of the audience unsatisfied, you know? Well, the bookstore market has just exploded in the last, you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, the publishers see that their their graphic novel sales or trade paperback sales from the bookstores are, are important. And bookstores aren't selling floppies. They're selling, yeah. you know, collections. So I think that, you know, floppies are selling. Batman sells, but his his the graphic novels and the and the trades, they're they're selling to a, like you said a different some of the same market, and some completely different. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the way. I mean, not that you asked the question, but I think that's the way the industry should be going forward is is diversifying how the con- how the content's read and serving audiences that want to read a certain way. Like it's interesting since COVID hit that. Like orders for bog bodies went up over the COVID period. I thought they were going to go down because no one was going to go to a comic book shop, but people were desperate to read a book. Like yeah, a, people were buying online on Amazon and having stuff delivered to their house. Yeah, you know. So I don't think we would have seen that coming. I think our which now now the, the argument is that nobody's going to comic like no one's going to go to comic shop anymore. Oh, so yeah. I left my cat outside. My lab, so yeah. yeah, but like you know, uh, I mean, a lot of comic shops are having it tough. But I know some comic shops are actually doing quite well now because I think people have been without comics for a few months and they're desperate to, they really want to start reading them again, or they're they've been waiting and waiting and waiting or dying to read them again. So it's it's interesting, like the that COVID has caused so much havoc and problems, but has also kind of provided different kind of avenues in it. Like you wouldn't be doing this if not for you know what happened with conventions you know right we'd be gearing up for our raleigh show in two weeks that you know is it going to happen now and so 
now we do this weekly thing to you know keep the conversation about comics going with our people. As, uh, if, you me, if you don't want me asking, like, how have these events gone for you? Good. I mean, you know, it's it's varying degrees of success, but we're building. You know, and we're this one's the best. Clearly, this is your best one of so far. Clearly, this is this is the best. We're doing this. We're doing some self with celebrities. Heather does a show on Mondays with wrestlers and musicians, and you know, we're reaching we're reaching our audience. And we're putting out stuff to keep everybody going. And uh, we'll get back to shows one day when it's safe and we can all leave the house. And in the meantime, you know, we're not going to we're not going to hide under a rock. Yeah. We're not gonna- I mean, I do. I do wonder what the next show is going to be like, because like, I've talked to some other pros and it's like, I'm just going to go nuts. Like the idea, like the last show I was at was a show in not Ra- Raleigh. Was it Richmond? It's Rich- R- Richmond. Yeah. That's one of the last times I was outside. Yeah, you know, that was the week before we did the shutdown here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just beforehand, like you know, which is mad. Like it feel like I li- literally haven't been outside since, and uh, and that was another country. But like the idea of doing doing a show, like is I mean, is it, uh, you know, it would be hard. For, I I wonder when one they'll start doing them, and two when people will start feeling comfortable because 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 pubs are opening here in Ireland now soon. And, I think, and I'm dying. I'm dying to go, but I don't know if I will. I think we really need a vaccine. I think uh, we do, but I I don't know. Like that could be years. I think that until you get a vaccine, it's going to be very difficult to have a real big show. And if you do anything, it's going to be very small comparatively. And I think international travel is going to be really limited. I yeah. think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that come into play. I would say maybe the idea of getting to see people in person again it will i i have a feeling people were getting a bit jaded about it you know you would do signings and people kind of it's like you know because personal appearances are great when you're looking to say promote something like say bug bodies available now but uh <laughs> it'll be um, a little bit more special yes uh yeah like i think i think people will re will there'll be a newfound appreciation for like in-person contact again because because travel will be like like I said, like I mean, it's it's actually kind of crazy when you think of how easy travel was, yeah, as of three three months ago. So not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's it, it's crazy. But uh, I mean, I I know I'm I'm optimistic. Things need to like okay, it, it can't happen for a while. But I'm I'm optimistic when things do get back to some kind of way where you can maybe um, make like book a book a place six months down the line and not have to think that the world is going to change in between yeah. now and then. But uh, but I'm optimistic when things move again like that, it'll be it'll be there'll be so much joy associated with it. Thank you for tuning in to GalaxyCon Talks Comics. We hope you'll join us again next time, and don't forget to follow us online at GalaxyCon Talks Comics dot com. <laughs>